You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, this morning, uh, not only did we want to highlight missions, but we want to continue in our series uh, through First Peter, and then it will be Second Peter, and then through the book of Jude. We're going to make our way through the ESV study journals here. And if you have a copy, if you have your copy, make sure you have that ready today. Uh, we may have a copy or two left at the Connection Center. I'm not for sure at this point, but we are going to. We've been tracking through uh, this summer in a series called Exiles. The idea is to use God's Word and to each week kind of take a piece by piece. And today is no exception. Uh, I launched the series. Pastor Bobby preached. Pastor Jamie preached. And today uh, we've got another voice, a great voice, uh, Pastor Rocky Nichols. And he is coming. And let's give Pastor Rocky a wonderful, awesome Gateway Church, the one and only Rocky Nichols. Boy, you've got some fans, brother. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, as spoken before, take out your little notebooks here for First Peter. And I have got the senior version with the large print. <clears throat> and we shall proceed through it. I'm to speak about chapter 4. And as I read the book over and over and over and read chapter 4 specifically over and over and over, it spoke to me that this was a final letter that Peter was writing to his people because persecution was on the way and well underway, actually. And perhaps he could see he wouldn't be there much longer. And he wanted to leave them with a plan going forward. So I start here in verse 7 of chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, do so as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, do so as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I've titled this message, Last Letters from the Battlefield. And as you might expect, I wanted to open up with something a little bit lighthearted because this is going to be a more serious, heavy message. I found nothing. I prayed that God would give me some kind of a fun illustration. And it wasn't until Thursday morning at 3.45 a.m., really early in the morning, I woke up with an inner thigh leg cramp right here. Now, I will never say that I would compare that or even know what it's like to give birth, although that's becoming a possibility, but I don't think I will try that. But it's got to be about 20,000 on the hot pepper scale of pain. So in that 
excruciating experience, I'm thinking, thinking, if my end were to come, Lord Jesus, let it be now, and I'd be happy. So that's, that's my illustration for today, as feeble as it may be. Let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced a paradigm shift? A paradigm is your view of the world and how you fit into that view and how you proceed through. When there is a shift in your worldview and how you fit into it, you reevaluate your life and how you are going to walk through it from thereafter. Most people have them more than one. If you're a born-again believer, you should have a paradigm shift just because of that. I've had several, but the most impacting for me was when my mother had a near-death experience. She was going to have an outpatient surgery. We just expected by the weekend she'd be home and everything would be normal, but it didn't work that way. She nearly died, and through some prayers with an Assembly of God pastor, within a few minutes, literally, the doctors found what was wrong and sewed her back up, and she was okay. That impacted me so much that I re-evaluated my plan for my life, and I shifted onto that new plan. And I also wrote that story down, and I sent it out in a letter to every family member, every friend, every coworker. I even sent them randomly to people in the phone book. 246, I think I've got two to four left. And for years later, I would still hear stories of individuals who had held tightly to that letter, and it really ministered to them. As I was writing this, through the weeks that I put this together, one of my coworkers asked me, you know, about it. And I said, well, all I got really at the moment is just the title, Last Letters from the Battlefield. He said, can I share my story? I says, absolutely. He was uh, in the Army in Afghanistan. He went through basic training, got out all slim, trim, and buff, and strong, and all that, learned how to use all the high-tech equipment, got shipped over to Afghanistan. And on the battlefield, he was bulletproof. They had these big armored personnel carriers, tanks, and all that stuff fighting against people on camels with sandals and throwing rocks. He was bulletproof. But night after night, the attacks kept coming. These people weren't giving up. They weren't leaving. This was their home. And night after night, he could not discern who the enemy really was. Started to get to him. And then one night, in his words, he said, I had a come-to-Jesus moment. Next morning, I woke up. I didn't care if I died. I was okay if I lost my life, but would I have done enough to prepare my men, those that I left behind in my absence? Because if I didn't, nobody gets out of here alive. I think the Apostle Peter had a similar circumstance. He had his basic training on the Sea of Galilee as a fisherman. He was pretty buff, pretty strong, a bit cocky. His battlefield then was the Roman Empire who had taken over Israel. Crucifixions everywhere, high taxation and oppression. But he was surviving it. He was bulletproof. 
Then the, then the, the Savior of Israel showed up, Jesus, and he followed him. He followed him to the point where Jesus, his Savior, died, was buried, but resurrected. But then after a few weeks, he ascended into heaven. And now Peter and his other disciples are on their own. That was the metaphorical come to Jesus moment. From that point on, those disciples and Peter cared not for their lives, but they would wonder if we're gone, have we done enough for the people that we leave behind? Because if we have not, nobody gets out of here alive. You and I will encounter an end of all things. Perhaps it's our personal end to our life. Perhaps it's Jesus coming and the end of this world system as we know it. Peter tells us how we should proceed. The first point that Peter makes substantially is this, to be holy. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You and I were created in the image of God, so we are to be a reflection of that image. The word holy in the Greek, in its perfect sense, stands for apartness, sacredness, or separatedness. In its imperfect sense, it is to be set apart for some specific purpose. God is perfect. He is set apart from all things that are imperfect. We are imperfect, therefore we are set apart for a specific purpose, and that purpose is to bear his image. What does it mean to bear the image of God? Theologians have debated this, scholars have debated this, and given a pretty good understanding, but none of them really hold water for me because all of them assign characteristics that can be duplicated outside of Christians and human beings, except for one, an assignment. You see, the image of God is not a characteristic, but it's a position that God has given each one of us, and that position is a responsibility to represent him here on earth. And how do we reflect that image in a, in a practical sense? It comes from one word, holiness. Holiness is the key to every successful action experience in the believer's life. It is not achieved by effort or works. It's a simple thing, but it's not an easy thing. It doesn't come by something you do. It's much harder than that. It comes by something that you undo. So listen close. Holiness comes by unselfing yourself. Holiness comes by unselfing yourself. Philippians 2, 3 says this, consider others more important than yourself. If you can do that, you have made the first big step to unselfing. 
The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you cultivate those things and see them growing in your life, you've made the second big step to unselfing. And third, unconditional love. If you truly understand that love gets nothing back in return, you've made a giant leap in unselfing and holiness. Peter also says, hold fast to the word. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Think of how many things have changed and not endured in your life. I can think of many in mine. I remember when people used to write letters and we would receive them. I remember actually using a telegraph to send money. I remember that spinny, dialy thing on the wall, the telephone. And then we had email, and then cell phones, and now we're into Facebook. What next? This is the audience participation part of the program, by the way. Oh, ha <laughs> excellent. Artificial intelligence, thank you. I remember, I don't remember, but I remember my dad telling me about a thing called Sputnik that tumbled through the sky. It was the first satellite ever from the Russians. Panicked America. Then Gemini, followed by the Apollo missions. Then the space shuttle and the space stations. I remember seeing them pass overhead. And then Skylink. I almost was breathless when I walked out one morning and saw 180, as best as I could count, satellites in a line pass over my house. What next? This is where you say, what next? Family meals around the table. I remember those wonderful times. Then TV dinners. You could stick your fork in the potatoes and pull out a square. It was the best ever. Fast food drive throughs Now Uber Eats. The Industrial Revolution came, the Cultural Revolution, followed by the Sexual Revolution. Now we got the Gender Revolution. The energy crisis was going to wipe us out. The ozone layer was going to go away. And it probably did because I don't hear anything about it anymore. Greenhouse gas is going to fill up the place. Then global warming, now climate change. I had polio vaccines when I was little. Then they said smoking cigarettes was going to kill everybody. Then don't eat egg yolks because you're going to die of a heart attack. Then it was the secondhand smoke that was going to kill everybody. Couldn't make up their mind. Then AIDS, now COVID. Newspapers turned to radio, then TV with three lousy channels. Now TV with 10,000 channels, then cable, Netflix, YouTube. Sunday AM and PM services. Then it changed to just Sunday morning services. Then it changed to just some Sundays. And now it's kind of online. And then there were lions and tigers and bears. Nice. We are but grass. That withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
Peter says, remember that you're a sojourner, an exile, a pilgrim. Beloved, I urge you to, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Know that this world will not accept you. They will tolerate you, but they can never truly embrace your culture. Nevertheless, get that education or that training that you need. But just remember that true wisdom is from above. Go ahead, build your dream home, but remember that you are just God's renter. Be successful, but acknowledge who your true boss really is. Start a family, appreciating that children are a gift from God. But live as temporary residents in this world and be honorable to others. Jesus had told us to occupy this world and continue serving him until he comes. Martin Luther was asked, if the world ended tomorrow, what would you do? And he said, I'd plant an apple tree today. I don't know if that was really said because if he really knew the world was going to end, what's the purpose? But the premise of that makes sense because we really can't know if the world's going to end tomorrow. And we need to do our part for those who will follow us. So go ahead. Get an education, build that dream home, be successful, start a family, live as temporary residents of this world, and plant a tree for tomorrow. This will not be a popular page in my notes. Peter says to submit to authority. He says this, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Aren't you glad he did not include honor the governor or the president? But we know that they are included there as well. And Paul said the same thing, even more detailed in Romans 13, that we are to respect authority and honor them, not necessarily because they have earned it, but because of that position. Whether they are good or bad, as long as they are within moral boundaries. If they are outside of God's law, we are not held to respond to follow that. But God has placed them in authority. So if your, as the sign says, your governor is a bad word and she does something right, you be the one to commend her for that that she did right. If your president is as fumbling as some people think, but he does something right, you be the people who commend him for doing something right. If your boss is a Mormon or a word that sounds like that, and he or she does something right, you be the one who commends your boss for that which they have done right. You see, if we set the example to defy authority, then who sets a standard 
to honor anyone afterwards. We have to stand for what is right. But when we confront our adversaries, do it with honor and respect. Peter also says to honor your spouse. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. There are possibly men in this room who have lost God's favor because they refuse to lead their family. There are possibly women in this room who have lost God's favor because they refuse to let their husband lead the family. It's a partnership. It's not better and lesser. It's equal with different assignments. My simple analogy here is a pilot and a co-pilot. The Federal Aviation Administration has decreed that the pilot commands and operates and leads the airplane. The co-pilot assists and supports so that the pilot can fly unencumbered. The co-pilot watches the engines and all the systems and navigates while the pilot can keep a safe pathway forward. Occasionally, the co-pilot has to take over for casual reasons or sometimes for urgencies. God has decreed that the man leads the home and that the wife supports the man so he can lead the home unencumbered. Occasionally, the wife has to take the lead in the home, sometimes temporarily, unfortunately, sometimes permanently. But when God's design for marriage is followed, it executes balance and order in a family. It brings stability to society. It gives strength to a nation. Something that our world may have lost forever. Something that we in this room must preserve. Peter says to fight evil with good. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Some years ago, I worked for a few years in a company, and I worked with a guy who I'll call my adversary. At all opportunities, he tried to make me fall. One particular day, he found something that he thought was a major error that would cost the company tens of thousands of dollars. Conveniently, all of my work was displayed on the shop floor. And also conveniently, he had mentioned to the boss right at lunchtime what had happened, so he thought. And I was called down when everybody in the company was gathered around who had already been told something about what was going on. My boss was furious, and he said, look what you did or didn't do. You forgot to do this here. You forgot to do this here. Here, here, that's all missing. All this work for weeks, tens of thousands of dollars is scrap because you failed and you were negligent in your job. 
I, my jaw just dropped because I thought, what are you not seeing here? I said, what you just pointed out wasn't theirs right there. It's just look, 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 there it is. It's all in there. It's over here. It's over here. All this stuff is done right to the print. What are you talking about? My adversary, with a big gulp, disappeared. My boss was humiliated himself for believing that. And I went back to my computer and just kept working, even though it was lunchtime. Uh, we didn't talk for a couple of days until finally he did say something. And I won his respect because I didn't lash out like I could have and humiliated him in return. Because I responded to his mistreatment with kindness. That reflected the principles of God's genuine love to people. Love does not value self above anyone else. Peter also says in chapter 4, verse 2, to be passionate for the will of God. Live for the rest of time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Desire and seek a lifestyle that reflects the priorities of God's kingdoms. Kingdom. And by doing so, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind as opposed to being conformed by the dismantling of your mind as we are seeing in society here and across the world. Align yourself with God's will and avoid unprofitable worldly pursuits. Those are things that bring temporary, unnecessary earthly gain or fame. These are things that require an unreasonable time commitment. They are things that take you away from your real responsibilities. And I'll step on a few toes here, but remember, I've already stepped on my own because these are examples from my own life. Always gone hunting and fishing because I need to provide food for my family. Well, I've done the research. It's pennies on the dollar compared to just going to the store and buying it from the meat market or the produce. Unending hours at work because I need to support my family. Well, it doesn't take that many hours. Endless nights in the workshop because I've got this million-dollar invention that will set us financially free. Never really happens. Or this one, which might hit home. Forever volunteering at work or at church. Sometimes even the good things can become bad things. When you really need to be at home, investing your time with your family. You see, God's will is most often found in the very simple, everyday, mundane things that we are usually too good and above doing. But that's what God wants us to do first. I don't want to totally burst your bubble. Because you can... Spend time on all those other passions you have. But the key word there is spend time. You can only spend that time after you have invested the time in the things that God has given you of eternal value. Peter says to rejoice in rejection. 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I cannot explain away the text here as some of us and myself might like to do because this world is filled with pain and suffering. God himself sent his beloved son to this broken world to be abused, to be mocked, literally to be tortured and executed. And Isaiah said that God himself was pleased to do so. Not to see the pain and suffering on his son, but he was pleased that his son submitted and went willingly. You know, most of us will experience social discrimination because of what we believe and who we are. But we shouldn't proceed through that in a disingenuous fashion saying, woe is me, but we should develop a thick skin. There's a story about a donkey in the well. I don't quite understand the origin or the point of the story as it's usually told. So I won't give you all the details, but there's a donkey in a well for some reason, and the townspeople are shoveling dirt on top of this donkey. I guess they're tired of hearing it crying, and they can't get it out of the well, but they're shoveling dirt on top of this donkey. And every time the dirt hits the donkey's back, it shakes the dirt off and takes a step up. More, more dirt comes down, he shakes again, he takes a step up. Eventually, to their surprise, the donkey has shaken all of the dirt off and has stepped all the way up to the well, which is now full, and he gets away. You and I are not very effective as image bearers if we are always a victim. Jesus was never a victim. Aside from Nazareth, where he shook the dust off his sandals and went elsewhere, he never took things personally. He was never offended. He never pouted or sulked. Like a donkey in the well, he shook it off and he continued to pursue his purpose. And there are some final instructions from chapter 5. And I'll focus on this one. Peter says to be watchful and on guard. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that brings us back to that original point about holiness. We can defeat our enemy by unselfing our self. When your concern for self becomes so insignificant compared to your concern for others, then you've disarmed your adversary and you win the battle. But we're in a war and other battles will come. But understand this point. Roaring lions are actually quite lazy. They're the big, fluffy-maned ones, all proud, sitting around while the lionesses, the women of the pride, 
are doing the hunting and bringing the food in. You see, roaring lions, they roar to scare and intimidate, but they really would rather have easier prey. James puts it this way, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Therefore, continue to unself yourself and your adversary will seek easier prey. Worship team, if you could come, and prayer partners as well, if you could make your way up and have some prayer partners off to the side here. First Peter may have been a sort of last letter from Peter's battlefield because persecution was intensifying, and within a few years, Peter himself was martyred, and he was gone. People in their last days are often compelled to leave final thoughts. Pastor Jamie, two weeks ago, brought that to my attention as well. When she said there was a period of time a few years back where she was suffering and she literally thought she was coming to the end. And she actually did write letters to all of her family members. Hearing that and reading through what I think was Peter's last letter, I decided to write my own. And forgive me if I have difficulty reading through this. It's not contrived, it's not theater. Even though I try to be humorous, it's more of a cover-up for the ultimate seriousness of my life. Because if you knew how really serious I was, you'd hardly believe that. Besides the Bible, my favorite book to read is the dictionary. That's a pretty serious guy. So I hope I can get through this. To the love of my life and my dearest sons. If you're reading this, then God has called me home. Regardless of what may have occurred, don't allow the circumstances of what of my passing mar the memory of my life, for God will work all things together for good. Just know this. I love you. I always have. I always will. And keep these things the highest priority in your life. First, trust God's Word. Study it, absorb it, live it. It's the only thing that has and will endure. Second, place God's center in life. He is the reason you exist. In Him is your full purpose. And third, remember You're just a traveler through this life. Don't cling too tight. Your journey ends soon enough. My prayers have always been that I prepared you well enough and that you finish well.
I will see you again. Yours forever. Dad. You bow your heads, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this moment. I thank you for the privilege that you give so many of us to stand on this platform and platform and speak what we believe is your word to your people. Lord, we know as your word says the end is going to come. It may come for each one of us at a different time. It may come for all of us when you call your church home. Lord, may there not be any loose ends. May we have spoken and prepared our family and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors, even our adversaries, that when we are gone, they will continue. And as you desire, as your will is, that everyone will come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, if there are any open ends, if there are letters that need to be written, I pray that you give us the boldness to do that this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. So I ask you again, has your paradigm or your worldview ever changed? Perhaps it needs to change today. Perhaps you need to step into that eternal timeline and commit your life to Jesus. Perhaps you've done that, but you have loose ends in life. That if you were called home tonight, that some in your family or who surround you will be left alone unprepared. You don't have to wait to write a letter, but I literally suggest you do. But don't put that off. Start today by investing in the lives of your people, the people that God has assigned to you. And if you have to make either of those commitments this morning, we have these faithful and trusted people on both sides of the stage that are here to listen, to pray with you, to walk you through as needed with the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As the music plays, if you would respond. Praise God. Thanks, Pastor Rocky, for bringing the word. It's just a good reminder that we need God's word in our heart. What First Peter is all about is, as uh, we've got an overview today again, it's about living as exiles. We're not meant to be, this is not our home. Our, we have a future home. I want to encourage you next week, we're going to finish First Peter, First Peter chapter 5, and we will... This would be a great week to reread, to go through, and maybe even write your own final letter to a, your family, like Pastor Rocky was encouraging. 
But the thing that is most important is that this is changing us. It's helping us to live this life. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your encouragement. Lord, I pray that these words would not just fall on deaf ears, but God, that it would change us from the inside out. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are helping us live as exiles in a world that's not our final destination. And God, I pray that it would not only be meaningful for us, but God, it would spill over on others so we could reach one more. God, I pray this. And now, Lord, as we leave, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. We love you. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.com church.